Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, The Christmas Story Unpacked. All right, praise the Lord. This morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different from Christmas messages that I've given in the past. For example, last year, uh, I gave my take and my perspective on the Star of Bethlehem from a scientific and a biblical perspective. And if you're interested in that sort of thing, you can go back to last year's Christmas podcast and check it out. I say that because there's quite a bit of interest today at this time in the aligning of or the conjunction of the planet Jupiter and the planet Saturn, which will occur tomorrow night, December 21st, about an hour after sunset. However, comma, based on my own research and my own thoughts on the matter, I do not believe this conjunction is the star of Bethlehem that the Magi followed. And you can hear my reasons if you want to go there. Having said that, it does not mean that signs like this are not significant. What does the Bible say about such things? Turn in your devices or in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So we see from this scripture that the Lord created the moon, the sun, the planets and the stars, anything that lights up the night sky to help us mark time on planet earth, but also to herald momentous events that are about to occur on planet earth. Amen. Case in point, the last time Jupiter and Saturn came this close together was in 1623, almost 400 years ago, three years after the pilgrims landed. Amen. So this is a very significant date which coincides with the birth of our nation. Amen. Many believe, myself included, that our nation is about to experience a new birth, a freedom from satanic bondage. 400 years after our first birth, and that it will signal the beginning of a third great awakening. Amen. And I'm excited about it. So that, in a nutshell, is one of the reasons there's so much interest in this sign showing up in the heavens again 400 years after the birth of our nation. Amen. Praise the Lord. But that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. Amen. I just wanted to address it because I think it's important. What I felt led to do this morning was to read the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 with amplifying comments along the way, which will bring out the richness of the story 
which is not always possible when you do a surface reading. Amen? It's not going to take long. It'll probably be one of my shortest sermons ever. But it's got good nuggets that I think you'll enjoy. Some of the things I'm going to pass on to you are from Rick Renner's teachings. And some of them are from my own perspective of the Christmas story. Bottom line, I think you'll enjoy the Christmas story unpacked. So let's get right into it, beginning with Luke chapter 2. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version, starting at the very first verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, we'll read that first. It's all about the birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. All right, so let me break down these first six verses. There's a lot in there. There's a lot going on. So the Bible says the whole Roman world was told to travel to the place of their birth, the place of their lineage, so they could be registered in a worldwide census. And the whole purpose was to assess the tax revenue that could be raised if the whole Roman world was taxed. It was a massive mobilization and one that was very rare. So what are some of the things we can learn from this that may not be quite as obvious if you just read through this real quickly? Well, Mary was about to give birth to Jesus and the prophet Micah had prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But Joseph and Mary lived 80 miles away in Nazareth of Galilee. So the way I see it, God used the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus to get Joseph and Mary to the right place at the right time for Micah's prophecy to be fulfilled. And I think that's encouraging. If you got a prophecy that was prophesied to you years ago and it has not yet manifested, I'm letting you know right now God is able to get you to the right place and the right time for that prophecy to be manifested, to be fulfilled. And if necessary, He'll mobilize the whole world to do it. Isn't that awesome? Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now this verse has a lot in it. Despite tradition to the contrary, if you study it out in Scripture, Jesus had four brothers, 
two of which wrote books of the Bible, James and Jude, and at least two sisters. That's why he's referred to here as Mary's firstborn son. It doesn't make any sense to say that if he was going to be an only child. Everybody get that? Jesus said the traditions of men make the word of God ineffective. So we don't go by tradition. We go by what the word says. And the word says Jesus had a big family. And historians are fairly certain from the records that they've searched back in those days that all of his brothers went into the ministry and all of his sisters married people that were in the ministry. So it kind of validates the concept of family being called to the ministry. Amen. Second thing I want you to see, also contrary to tradition that you hear a lot, people say that Joseph and Mary could not afford a room in the inn. So they had to take Jesus into the cave and put him in that manger. It does not say that. No, the Bible clearly states that there were no rooms available. No rooms at the inn. Not that they were poor and couldn't afford a room. Again, the traditions of men make the Word of God ineffective. Joseph, no doubt, had a thriving carpentry business and all of his brothers at one point probably, all of the brothers of Jesus, that is, probably worked in Joseph's shop. I know Jesus did, I'm fairly certain, right up into the time that he was called into the ministry at age 30. The third thing I want you to see is we have, we know exactly where this cave is today. And the stone manger that was in that cave is still there today. They know exactly where it is. Trisha and I have been there. Amazing that such an important spot has been able to be preserved through history so people can go and say, this is where my Savior was born. That's awesome. That's awesome. They call it the Bethlehem Grotto. That's another fancy word for a cave. And like I said, Trish and I have been there. And uh, what, what overwhelmed me about that place is the utter humility of it. I saw all these ornate buildings all around, and here's this little cave carved out of the side of a, a rock face. And that's where Jesus was born. And that's where he was laid in the manger. Amen. So, also want you to note, and we'll get into this here shortly, there is significance to the phrase wrapped in swaddling cloths. It's not just random, especially because it occurs twice in just a few verses. Anytime you see something repeated twice or three times, the Holy Spirit is making an emphasis. He's wanting you to see something. So let's talk about the shepherds and the angels. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. Why were they filled with great fear? 
Here we see that the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds and the glory of God shone around them. And the original Greek there paints a picture of a circular beam of light coming down on the shepherds. So you got an angel talking, you got a beam of light coming down on top of you. Amen. So it was noteworthy and it took them by surprise. Okay. So one of the things that always comes to my mind when I read this story about them being afraid, you know, King James says they were sore afraid. That means they were really afraid. You know, um, whenever I read the story, I think about everybody in our generation in this day and age. Uh, we tend to think when we read Bible stories and we read about angels and miracles and things like that, that it was commonplace to the people of that day. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, after the prophet Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet prophesied and wrote his book, there was 400 years of prophetic silence and no angelic visitations that we know of, at least none that were significant during that 400 years where there was no prophet in the land speaking forth the word of the Lord and there were not angels appearing randomly to people through that age. And then now Jesus gets ready to come into the earth and for a period of time before he came into the earth and for a good length of time after he came to the earth, all of a sudden, bam, you have a surge. You have an outbreak of angelic visitation. All of a sudden, angels are on the move because something important is going to happen. And they're there to make sure that it happens the way that it was prophesied that it would happen. Amen. I submit to you that these shepherds had probably never seen an angel before. Certainly never seen a beam of light from heaven shining down on them. And they were just as shocked and surprised as you and I would be if it happened in this room today. You'd be going, praise the Lord. Now, I... I'll share that in a minute. <clears throat> All right. Praise the Lord. All right. So if it were, to wrap this up, if it were such a commonplace occurrence to see angels and to receive messages from heaven, then they would not have been filled with great fear. They would not have been terrified. Amen. All right. Let's continue reading verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. You get the impression if you read this with a little bit of imagination that this angel was really excited to be able to give this message of hope that was for the entire human race. It must have been an honor bestowed to this one angel. And he's all excited about it. And he says, uh, uh, fear not, for behold! You know, today we would say, Wow! I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Not just a select few, but all the people. For the whole world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Man, I just get tingly saying that. So the Greek word here translated as Savior means deliverer. Jesus is our Savior. He is our healer. He is our redeemer. 
He is our deliverer. The word translated here as Christ means he is our anointed Messiah. But this is awesome. The word translated as Lord is is translated to mean the one who is supreme in authority. And indeed, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In other words, Luke is conveying to his readers that the baby Jesus lying in the manger was God in the flesh and was the supreme authority in all the universe. Think about that juxtaposition, if you allow me to use a big word. Nevertheless, by setting aside His godly attributes that were rightly His and taking on the form of a man, even the form of a little baby that had to grow up into a man. Think about it. He had to be burped when he was fed. His diapers had to be changed. He had to be nursed in the middle of the night probably a couple of times. And all of that is pretty humble to come to be the supreme ruler of the universe and come and be a baby with baby functions that go along with being a baby. That, that's, that's like humility personified. So because of all this, he set the ultimate example of humility for the rest of us to follow. Let me show you that in the word. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5 through 8, I'll be reading from the NIV, the nearly incomplete version. I say that because it leaves out verses that I don't like that they leave out. But I like the way they say things sometimes. So, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8 in the NIV. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Well, what kind of mindset did he have? Verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. The creator became a created being. It's amazing to contemplate. And being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So not only was Jesus humble, but he was willing to give his life as a sacrifice for the plans and purposes of God to be fulfilled. If we are to become the person that God has called us to be, we must have the same mindset and the same attitude that Jesus did. All right, let's pick it up in Luke chapter 2 at verse 12. This time I've shifted translations to the New King James Version. We'll read verse 12 through 20. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Remember we said that swaddling cloths are very significant. And here's why. Swaddling cloths were used to wrap the legs 
of baby lambs when they were newborns to keep them warm. So it was a sign that they would be familiar with, the shepherds, because you could find these swaddling cloths in these caves that dotted the countryside, including the one that Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus stayed in that night. So what I'm saying is that Mary wrapped the arms and legs of the baby Jesus to keep him warm after he was born, and the angel told the shepherds to look for the baby who was wrapped up like a lamb. Isn't that tender, precious? I believe that's why the shepherds found him so quickly after the angel of the Lord announced his birth. Also significant is this. There was a field in Bethlehem, and it's still there today. It's called the Shepherd's Field. And back in Jesus' day, it was used to raise little sacrificial lambs that would be offered up in the temple five miles to the north in Jerusalem. So not only would the shepherds find the baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloths, but they would make the connection that he was the promised sacrificial lamb of God. When John the Baptist spotted Jesus the man for the very first time, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So the word translated here as angel is from a Greek word which means messenger and it seems fitting for this particular angel because he brought the message. Isn't that right? But notice after he delivers the message that a multitude of the heavenly host appeared with him and began to give glory to God. The phrase a multitude of the heavenly host literally means Angel armies, too numerous to count. And even though they were glorifying God, these angel armies were no doubt fierce in appearance. Warriors with armor and powerful weapons, and it must have been a sight to see. Warrior angels humbling themselves, worshiping the King of Kings, glorifying God. And in keeping with their created purpose as warrior angels, I believe they were probably excited to see their commander-in-chief in the flesh for the first time. As a former military officer, I can relate. Amen. Jesus, after all, is referred to in Scripture as the Lord of hosts. Some people have erroneously called him the captain of the host. That is Michael. Michael is the archangel who is the captain of the host. But Jesus is the commander in chief. He is Lord of the host. He is Lord of the angel armies. So no wonder the shepherds were a little bit frightened at this spectacle. 
An angel appears, gives this great message. A beam of light comes down. And then all these warrior angels, too numerous to count, show up in the heavens glorifying God. Looking mean and fierce. Probably brandishing some of their weapons. But nevertheless, praising God with all of their hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember the first time I had a visitation of the Lord back in April of 1985. And uh, Marcy was just months old. Trisha and I were living in Corpus Christi. And I was still flying for the Marines back then. And I had a visitation of the Lord. And when I was in the Spirit, I looked over my right shoulder and I saw an angel standing in the hallway uh, that adjoined our bedroom. And I, because of his fierce countenance and his size and his just, he was just burly. That's the only way I could say burly. You know, Dan's got his business called Burly Boards, you know. You know, there's burly guys with beards and just, you know, just beefy guys. He was like that. And he was so fierce looking that I recoiled in fear just like these shepherds did. I was terrified. And then I heard the Lord speak to me and said, don't be afraid. The same thing that was spoken to these shepherds. So this is a very special passage to me. And I don't really have time to share that visitation, but you know, I've got it on several of our podcasts if you wanted to listen to it. But the thing I wanted you to see is that it is understandable that when a warrior angel appears to you, it would frighten you somewhat. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which was told them concerning this child. Amen. The shepherds left their fields and found the baby Jesus, just like the angel said they would find him, dressed exactly the way they said he would be dressed. Then they became the world's first evangelists, and they started telling everybody, everybody that moved, about the Christ, about the coming Lord that had been born, the Messiah had been born, King of kings and Lord of lords. Savior of Israel. They started telling everyone that Jesus the Savior was God in the flesh that had been born in a humble little cave in the little town of Bethlehem. That's a pun there on a Christmas carol. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That is a song, isn't it? All right. Verse 18. And those who heard it marveled. King James says, wondered. Wonder what this all means. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Listen to this. This is awesome. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She didn't forget. She put them in there and she stored those memories and she pondered them. She meditated on them. This was the word of the Lord to her concerning her son. Verse 20. 
Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amen. Hallelujah. So I want to wrap this up by recommending that you spend some time in this Christmas season thinking about why Jesus came. Get your focus off the gifts and all the trappings of Christmas and put your focus on Jesus, the greatest gift of all. I want you to ponder in your heart what a wonderful Savior we have, like Mary did, like the shepherds did. Realize that Jesus was born a little baby in the little town of Bethlehem, but he was born to be our sacrificial lamb. He was born to die so that we might live. I want to leave you with a scripture, an obscure scripture that most of you probably never heard of. John 3, 16 and 17. I say that because most people know verse 16, but they don't go on to read 17. I say, don't read John 3.16 unless you're going to read John 3.17 with it. So I want to leave you with this scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? Amen. Merry Christmas. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, The Christmas Story Unpacked. If you were blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.